Hello, and welcome on in to Dogs in Autumn, the history of American football. I ran into a slight problem. When I decided to pivot toward conferences, it was a snap decision and undid some of the work I'd already done. So the episode covering the spread of football throughout the Midwest just isn't ready yet. I decided to fill in the gap with a little bonus episode covering the alternate leagues that have arisen over time alongside the NFL. I missed the start of the XFL season, but I'm here now, and I figured the XFL and leagues like it, including its previous iteration, could be a strange and interesting modern segue in a series still busy covering the sepia-filtered past. I'm happy to be here, and of course very happy to have you here as well. Something to keep at top of mind, though is that every league I'm going to go over here is or was in no way associated with the NFL itself. I said in a previous episode that the NFL is not the American football's equivalent of the English Football Association, and I meant it. Not only is there no organization like that for this sport, for all intents and purposes, there's no real pyramid either, at least not in the same way. There's the NFL, college football, and high school football, then everything else. High school football is the talent pipeline for college, which is the pipeline for the NFL. Talent the NFL doesn't take might wind up in one of the alternate leagues I'm discussing today, or more likely, stop playing altogether. The second thing to keep in mind today is that until the 1987 advent of arena football, itself in a very real sense a separate sport and worthy of its own episode, every new league that emerged was meant to directly compete with the NFL, if not immediately, then eventually. And this began, right at the start, with the first of a series of competitors that would bear the name American Football League, launching in 1926. Despite signing one of the sport's first superstars in three-time All-American Red Grange, this iteration of the AFL folded after a year. Only one of its teams, the oh-so-creatively named New York Yankees, was absorbed by the NFL, but then the Yankees folded in 1929. Second AFL launched in 1936, this time summoning up all the momentum it could and lasting a grand total of a year. It did give us the Cleveland Rams, though, who are the direct forerunner of today's LA Rams, before quietly exiting the scene in 1937. But, if you can believe it, yet another AFL would show up in 1940 before shuddering in, hang with me now, 1941. At least this one had the excuse of the United States entering the Second World War, though. The draft for the war effort devastated the population of professional athletes available, and a number of teams and a number of alternate and regional leagues that existed at the time were flat-out unable to field rosters. One little nugget from this AFL, though, was that it featured a team in Cincinnati called the Bengals. But this Cincinnati Bengals team isn't affiliated with the modern franchise, which wouldn't be established until the fourth version of the AFL but it's hard to imagine it being purely a coincidence. The ongoing war prevented the emergence of any further serious ventures until its conclusion in 1945. The next year saw the foundation of the All-America Football Conference, which would last until 1949 and was the most successful challenge to the NFL up to that point. The man most responsible for his success and continued legacy was none other than Paul Brown, the owner and coach of the league's most dominant team, the Cleveland Browns. I'd say no relation, but that wouldn't be true. Paul Brown will get his own episode when we get to that point, though, so I'll just point out that this league also left behind the San Francisco 49ers and featured a team in Baltimore called the Colts, who aren't affiliated with the modern Colts at all. But again, I have trouble imagining the coincidences entirely coincidental. There's another big gap 
until 1960 when we finally got another little league called the American Football League. <laughs> Again, part four. This time, even more American. I've already discussed this AFL in my episode about the history of the Super Bowl, and I'm going to cover it in detail in, in the main show. So I'll just go ahead and spoil it all for you by telling you that this was the most successful alternate league in history, as it was healthy for its entire independent run from 1960 to 69, before finally completing a full merger with the NFL in 1970. Things slowed down again in the 70s, with only one significant attempt at an alternate league, which was the World Football League in 74 and 75. The history of the WFL, pejoratively pronounced Wiffle, is insane. A comedy of errors. A symphony of baffling decisions. But they did manage to make some impact on the sport, so they're going to get more thorough coverage later on. That brings us to the last league truly meant to challenge the NFL. The United States Football League. If that sounds familiar, it's probably for one of three reasons. Either you were there for it, or you learned about it as a detail in the business career of former President Donald Trump, or it's because there's currently a second iteration trying to get off the ground as a spring league right now. Football is, and always has been, a fall sport. This was set in stone by the fact that at the time it was all coming together, which is more or less where we are right now in the main show, baseball and rowing were already occupying the spring, and most football players also played those sports. But by the time of the USFL, there developed a sentiment among television executives and investors that surely, since Americans love football so damn much, there must be a market for this thing in the other half of the year. Hence, the USFL played their first season in the spring. Both iterations of the XFL and the second USFL would be spring leagues as well. At present, that sentiment among executives and investors has looked more like a myth, but I guess we'll see. The first iteration of the USFL may have begun as a spring league, but unlike the current version, no one doubted that its ultimate goal was a head-to-head -head competition and eventually probably a merger with the NFL. It launched in 1983 amid rising labor tension between the Players Association and the league, and initially found some of the same hallmarks of success that the last version of the AFL had found before merging with the NFL. They secured a lucrative broadcast deal with ABC and the nascent cable network ESPN, which ensured they'd find their football-starved audience. They came out swinging in the draft, taking Heisman Trophy winner and future failed Senate candidate Herschel Walker in the 1983 draft. They would follow that by taking a second consecutive Heisman Trophy alum, Doug Flutie, in 1984. Initial plans were ambitious, and not just nationally. They wanted to establish multiple teams in Canada, which would have been a first for an American Football League, but the threat of protectionist legislation from Canadian Parliament on behalf of the Canadian Football League put a stop to that. Still, just looking at the product on the field, the fans in the stands, and the names on the jerseys, you could have been forgiven for imagining another merger would be in the offing. But it wasn't to be. The NFL can be a pain for fans of the sport, but in the rare case of an actual threat to the shield, real or imagined, you'd be surprised how quickly they get their troops lined up. In this case, though, they were helped quite a bit. A certain enterprising owner with vast holdings in Atlantic City casinos and a future address on Pennsylvania Avenue wasn't satisfied with his New Jersey generals competing in a mere spring league. Donald Trump had been turned down twice before attempting to join the ranks of NFL team owners and had a bone to pick, so he wanted to use the USFL to do it. But that's for another day. That it didn't end well is good enough to know for now. 
The USFL folded in 1985, survived only by a few small innovations to the rules later adopted by the NFL. Between 1985 and the end of the millennium, it more or less stayed that way. The Arena Football League was the only other major attempt at professional football outside the NFL, and like I said, that's really a different sport and in no way a threat to the NFL. But then Vince McMahon leveraged his victory in the Monday Night Wars of the late 90s pro wrestling scene into a brand new football league, the first XFL. The thing that made the XFL stand out was the fun. If you were like me, you were 13 years old and trapped on one side by the rich but traditional world of college sports and the rather stale and corporate NFL on the other. The XFL offered a different conception of American football than both, one informed by the showmanship and theatrics of professional wrestling. And like the USFL before it, for what felt like no longer than a two-minute drill, it briefly seemed possible it could work. But there was always a problem. Not just for the XFL or the USFL, but any would-be professional football league. I don't know what else to call it, but legitimacy. Legitimacy in sport seems to come with age, which produces a natural fan following to which a potential new fan can come to belong. For the NFL and college football, their origins were humble, often playing out their first many seasons in front of small, half-interested crowds in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. But those crowds and their interest grew with the sport, and consequently, so did the legitimacy of the teams they'd been learning to love. This process of growth killed many organizations that couldn't survive it for one reason or another. But new teams joining the NFL now as expansions, or moving into the ranks of major college football, get to borrow from all of this previously earned legitimacy until they built up some equity of their own. Sports need this evolutionary process badly. You have to believe the thing you're investing your emotions in is real, that the stakes, whatever they are, are real. If you can't believe in what you're seeing, like if, for example, it kind of feels like pro wrestling and is also owned by a pro wrestling executive, it's hard to stay invested in what you're watching. The XFL wasn't scripted, it was all real. But especially in an era before pro wrestling coverage on sites like Deadspin and Bleacher Report, Association with professional wrestling was too heavy a stink for an unscripted sport to wash off, even with a lot of investment. And like I said, the XFL didn't believe it needed to wash off that stink. Vince McMahon was a career wrestling promoter, the architect behind the consolidation of that entire industry into one giant brand, his brand. And he believed that sports entertainment, as he called it, was a feature of his new football league, not a flaw. 13-year-old me might have loved it, but the broader audience didn't agree. Combined with the diminished level of play from the NFL product and the effect of not being taken seriously by sports media, a dramatic decline in viewership over the course of the season killed the first a XFL after one year. NBC backed out, secondary broadcast partners made demands the league couldn't or wouldn't cooperate with, and it collapsed. So now you understand the world the new USFL and XFL are attempting to graft themselves onto. The NFL's power in this sport is unquestioned, and it's buttressed, not diminished, by the popularity of college football, which eliminates the need for a development pyramid, but for its own ends, and therefore it doesn't have to be managed by the league from above. That isn't to say that new leagues aren't worth doing. I'm a football fan, so more football's always fine with me. 
I also think some of the experimental stuff is interesting and may at least result in some innovations to make the game safer and more dynamic. The XFL's kickoff is definitely worth watching as it takes what's likely the single most dangerous play in football and removes its most hazardous elements without removing the chance for something big to happen. But creating a lasting, successful alternate league in this sport simply doesn't seem feasible to me. The last century of football has seldom given positive evidence that the NFL can be competed with directly. The long-established and emotional nature of college su football support makes it extremely unlikely to take a back seat as the source of player development, and even the logic of a spring league feels flawed. While football is far and away America's favorite sport, when you're hunting for a profit margin, you probably don't want to depend on beating out the NBA, March Madness, and the start of Major League Baseball all around the same time. However, I have never been paid and will never be paid for consulting on new sports leagues. So here we are. The new XFL launched after the Super Bowl in early 2020, and as if to demonstrate my point, had its first season stopped cold by the COVID-19 pandemic. Vince McMahon sold the venture at this point, and it was purchased by a group of investors that included Dwayne Johnson, with the promise that it would continue in 2023. And it did. That second season is ongoing as of this recording and appears to be doing well. The new USFL launched in the interim in 2022. It was formed from a core of personnel previously responsible for the Spring League, which was only semi-professional and ran from 2017 to 2021. This core group acquired the USFL IP, including its logo, its league history, and all its teams, and relaunched under the guarantee of a major partnership with both Fox and NBC. No matter how skeptical I am, these ventures shouldn't really be ignored. The XFL's been fun to watch, and I'm not alone in thinking so. I don't know the partnership with ESPN will translate to staying power, but it's certainly resulted in more brand awareness than other alternate leagues in my lifetime. The USFL partnership with Fox and NBC is also a major commitment on the part of these two rival networks, signaling executive dedication to the success of spring ball. So we'll see. I've always thought history doesn't really care a whole lot about what anyone thinks, least of all me. It kind of just does what it does. Maybe the history of the new XFL and or USFL will write itself a little different this time. Thanks for listening. If you're feeling kind, consider leaving a rating or even better, a written review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at dogsandautumn, all one word, or email me at dogsandautumn at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next time to see how football first got going in the Midwest. Take care. Thank you.